there's very few, all right? Uh, now, if I, if I said, how many of you just didn't like math class ever? I got two hands, okay, good. Uh, and so that is also uh, true. But here's what I want to say about you. We love, I love number people, all right? Number people, like, Nerds unite, right? I mean, they are, they're really cool and how they can deal with numbers. And, and so um, I just want to say to you that number of people, we love you, all right? And I need you to know that the sum of your value is infinite, all right? And so um, <laughs> you're welcome. All right. So hey, I want to go over some numbers, though, real quick, all right? Uh, the first number is 168. All right, can you say that? Say 168. 168. Okay, 168, that's the number of hours in a week. All right, now say one and one quarter. Okay, so an hour and 15 minutes is the typical Sunday service. So if we did one and one quarter minus, or 168 minus one and one quarter, we would be left with 166 and three quarter. All right, now that's the rest of our week. So if we come to church, so you're here, you're going to spend about an hour and 15 minutes here, so you have 166 three-quarter hours left in your week, right? Now that doesn't hold true, right, because we do this thing called sleep, so if we had eight hours a night of seven days in a week, we'd have 56 hours of sleep, which would take us down to 110 and three-quarter, right, hours of wake time. So we're awake 110, you know, on average, 110 three-quarter hours a week. And so with those 110 three-quarter hours, um, I w- and I want to say this, that the, hundred, the, the hour and 15 that you spend here, I believe that is, it is significant and it is important, right? Because we come not only to see each other, we come to connect with Christ, right? We come into the presence of what God is doing, right? And so out of this place, we'll never worship like this again, all right? And so out of this place, this should be a meaningful experience. It should be an experience that really uh, changes our heart, but it should not be the only experience, all right? And I love, I hope that we have an environment here that followers of Christ can come and people that are curious about Christ can also come. There's no way that you woke up as early as you did on a Sunday because you don't love Jesus, I would say, I would even go and say that the 11 o'clock service, those people love Jesus too. They woke up a little later, but I feel like they love Jesus too. And I feel like, also, if, you weren't in, if you're not in a relationship with Christ, I feel like you're curious about Christ, or I don't think you would be here, right? And, and so this is an important time. I believe um, that, that there's something about when people come together, that there's, there's teaching that takes place. We can learn, we can experience the presence of God, and then we can go out and we can see the mission of the kingdom move forward. And so the question that I'm asking, I guess, is what are we doing with the other 166 and three-quarter hours of our life, right? If this is the if this is the pinnacle experience, then I think, I think we're missing something. And, and by this, I, I'm, what I'm asking is, you know, I mean, there's obvious answers to what we're doing with those 110 hours, right? Uh, we're working. We're volunteering. We're spending time with family. Uh, we're binging on Netflix. We are scrolling through endless scrolls of Facebook, 
I'm not. But Instagram, yes, okay, yes, okay. And so, and, but here's what I want to say, like, the underlying question to that even is, okay, it's what, what are we doing with those hours? But then the underlying question to that is, does our faith experience as followers of Jesus Christ only exist within the hour and 15 minutes we spend here? Or is it permeating the other 166 and three-quarter hours, right? And so really, is it changing the 168 hours of our, of our week, all right? So let's think about those numbers and pray with me, all right? Now, I just pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and reveal in our hearts the things that you want to transform. And then, Father, I pray that you would then bring relief to our minds to know that you're the only one that can do the deep work. So I pray that you would come and that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we're going through this ancient prayer called the Lord's Prayer. And what we've gone over so far, uh, we have said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then today, what we're going to cover is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? And so there's this, there's this importance uh, that, we, that we realize that so far in the prayer, all right, we have said a lot of stuff, right? So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a whole lot in just those few phrases. We've recognized that God is sovereign, that he's the creator of all things, that he's holy, that he's actively restoring all things, that includes us, that he's alive and active today, and he's using his people. And then in this last bit that we're going to cover today, what we've said is, God, you can do anything. You can do whatever you want. God, you can do whatever you want. And now these are, that's a big thing. And what I've come to realize and I'm coming to realize more and more every day of my life as, as I'm trying to open myself up to more of what God is doing, what I'm realizing more and more is this, that God will not be put in a box. He will not, absolutely will not be put in a box. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the construction that we do as uh, box builders in our walk, all right? And I think these are very important things that we're going to cover today because I believe that all of us have done this, are currently doing this, or will do this in the future. And I'm only going to cover two areas today that I feel like we do a lot of box building in uh, with God, but I think they're two big areas. And the first area is this. And let me say this. When we try to build a box on God, we're also building a box on His will, Okay? And so when we say, let your will be done, and we're saying, you do whatever you want to, but here's these things. Here's the parameters that you can do them within. And so the first thing that we do, um, and the first area, I believe, is our life's purpose. 
right? We build a box on our life's purpose. And how do we do this? I believe we do this by comparing ourselves to others. And this is something that we need to find um, that is, is wrong, and we need to stop doing it. Uh, comparing yourself to someone else, uh, I think you're saying, hey, I know you made me, but I'd rather be like them. And in Matthew 25, there's this fantastic parable, right? It's called the parable of the talents in some translations. In the translation I'm reading out of today, New Living Translation, it's called uh, the parable of the three servants. And so I'm going to give you the synopsis of it, and then I want to focus in on one verse. So in Matthew 25, and if you want to follow verse 14 and on. And so here's Jesus. He's, he's teaching, and he's saying this king is going to distribute these uh, these these gifts, these talents, or in, in my translation, it says uh, these bags of silver. And so one servant gets five, one servant gets two, and one servant gets one. All right? And so he, he's going to distribute. The king is distributing. And then the king leaves on vacation, but he leaves them with the expectation that, hey, there should be some return on this. All right? The king then comes back. And the king says this. He says, okay, let's see, let's see what you guys did. All right, bring the uh, servant in that had five bags of silver. Oh, wow, okay, great. You, you turned a profit. Awesome, all right? Or you made gains on this investment. Sweet. The one that has two, bring, bring him in. Okay, great. You made, uh, you made a great uh, investment and you made a gain. And then, okay, bring the one in, they come in, and then they say, look, I was, I'm going to be honest with you, I was scared of you, and so I just buried it. So here, you can have it back, All right? Now, the king is very happy with the first two, and he's not pleased with the last one, All right? And so why would that be? Well, there, I think there were a couple reasons, and uh, one is that the the last person who had one bag didn't know the character of the king and really didn't trust the king. And even if they would have made a small gain, um, it would have been respected. And so in Matthew uh, 25, 15, it says this, and this is what I want to concentrate on for just a second. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag um, to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on the trip. And I want to really focus in on that, dividing it in proportion to their abilities and what that speaks to. It speaks to this, that the king knows you, and he didn't mess up on you. He didn't, cre- he didn't create you as this deviant thing. He created you as you are. And I believe that we do, there's an old saying, um, and, and it says this, that comparison is the killer to joy. Comparison is the killer to joy. And so when we begin to compare ourselves and we say, well, I, I wanted this, or they have that, or he has this ability, well, she has that car, and this and that and the other, and we begin to kill the joy, and we begin to not understand that God has given us a gift and a talent as well. And we are supposed to invest that. And, and here's what I'd like to say, that, that oftentimes... We get caught up in the belief that it's the amount that we received that matters. Here's what matters. What are you doing with what you received? That's what really matters. 
It doesn't matter the amount, right? It says somewhere that his ways are not our ways, right? And so we have to come into that understanding that, oh, oh, God has a plan. He's planned this out. He knows me. He has created me, and he knows exactly what I am to do. And that's what we have to get into the business of is going after what God is calling us to do with what he has gifted us with. And so the question I want to leave us with in this section is, okay, your life's purpose has a plan. How many more hours of the 168-hour week are you going to spend comparing yourself to somebody else instead of running after what God has intended for you? We say, let your will be done on heaven as on earth. And then we say, God, but you messed up on me. He didn't mess up on you. He knows you and he loves you. And here's what I would encourage you. Take what you're good at and hone in on it. Craft it. Make it, enhance it and make it better. All right? Instead of working on 15 different things that you're okay at, work on the one thing that you're really good at. Or maybe the two things that you're really just rocking and rolling at. Because that's what God has gifted you. Is there going to be, look, I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm okay, I think, seriously, at, at teaching. I'm not really a superstar at cleaning toilets. I mean, but if, if, if it calls for it, then guess what? You have to do it. So, so don't get in that mode either, where you're like, no, nah, I'm just above all that stuff. Like, you know, I'm not the best grass cutter. So I shouldn't do it. Sometimes there's, there's times where it, life necessitates that you do stuff that, you know, isn't within your wheelhouse, all right? But here's what I would say. Take the things that God has gifted you with, all right? And you think, well, I don't even know. And it might not, God might not say, you are gifted at this. But you might look and observe your life and you say, well, I really like when people come over to my house and they really just say that they're welcome. They feel like they're welcome. They feel like they're actually at home when they're at my home. Well, guess what? You have the gift of hospitality, all right? So use that, all right? Is that cool? It's real simple. It's like that, you know? And, it, and if you have the gift of, like, um, giving, then give, all right? And you don't, well, I, I just have the gift of giving. I just have the gift of hospitality. I really want really to play guitar. But maybe you can't carry a tune in a bucket. That's not your gift, Okay? And that's okay. Does everybody get that? Like, we can't, we can't do everything. All right? And so take what you have, and, and I'd say this to you, and I'm going to say this to me. Stop hesitating and start participating. Right? Stop looking around at what other people have and what other people can do and say, God, how would you use me with the things that you've given me to affect change in my community, all right? So that's the first area is life's purpose. And what do we have? Life's purpose, what we can do is we can focus on the amount instead of on focusing on what has been given. We can compare ourselves, and comparison is the killer of joy, all right? And so we need to know that, and we need to stop hesitating, and we need to start participating, 
The second area that I feel like we build a box, so that first area was life's purpose, the second area is our spiritual journey, right? And so our, another term for that might be our spiritual experience, and I want to cover two ways that we set parameters for God, and these are, I believe that these are the most common ways. The first way is when we require an experience to happen or a phenomenon to happen in order for someone to have, air quotes, experienced God, right? So I'm going to give you a practical example of Mario and Marie. Mario and Marie are sitting in a worship service, all right? Mario begins to shake, and he begins to weep. And it is loud. And you're like, what is happening? And Marie is sitting there, and she's just quiet. Okay? Now, this is a room much like this one here, okay? And so we could observe this, all right? So they're sitting over here. Maybe someone's sitting over here. They're observing, and they might think this very thing, and it depends on what stream you come from, right? Wow, God is really moving on Mario right now. And now that could be a true statement, a very true statement. But have you ever thought about this? Is God doing something in Marie that could be equally as great or more significant? And she's just quiet, right? And so I believe what we do... um, We are walking on dangerous ground when the only thing that we judge what God's doing is solely by the external appearance of what is happening, right? Because something can be happening in Marie and something can be happening in Mario and it looks like two different things. And I I love what Tracy said last week, when we start running after the experience, we stop running after God. Now, I mean, hear me on that. Now, now Paul says to, to seek after the spiritual gifts, right? All right? But he is not saying they're the end. He is saying that they're the means to the end. That is God. And so we've got to pick up on that when, when we actually start running after the experience, the manifestation, the whatever is going on, that becomes what we begin to worship, okay? And that's, a, that's frightening ground uh, to walk on. Does everybody understand that? So the first thing that we can do is we can say, well, God has to do this in order for you to have experienced God, okay? I believe that that's super dangerous, all right? The second parameter that we place is this. So you guys can see that, maybe you can see with my next statement, is God would never do this or do that, right? And so you guys can kind of see like, hey, you know, we're we're all about God, man, okay, and all this has to happen, right? Or it's God would never, ever do that, right? And so let me give you another example. We're going to use Mario and Marie again. In the same service, there's another person that's saying, oh, thank God Marie is just under control. And boy, does Mario need attention or what? 
because he is just making this stuff up, all right? And so clearly Mario needs attention. Maybe that's the thought. And maybe some of you in this room have been in a meeting where you think that same thing. One of those two things, wow, God's really moving on him, or my God, what is wrong with that guy? God would never do that. Those two thoughts can happen in the same room, right? And so what do we do? Well, one thought is saying, well, he has to do that in order for God to move. The other is saying, no, I would, no God would never do that. And what I, don't, what I can understand is this, and I hope you, maybe you, I hope you, no, maybe you've been there with me, is where you can move into judge mode real quick. You guys ever judge? No, don't raise your hand. That's embarrassing, all right? Have you ever judged anything that God has done? And you're thinking, okay, now let me just say this. Your personal experience does not define what God can and cannot do, all right? And I, I, would, I would highly recommend that you read the Bible and you see what God can do. God would never do that. Well, why did Hannah appear drunk then? Why did Saul rip off his clothes and lay down on his side for a day? Why did people say on Pentecost that those people were drunk? It wouldn't be because they spoke different languages. Like, that would make you look intelligent, right? All right? There was something that was happening. But why does God say, you know, be still and know that I am God? Don't try to box God in with your experience or lack of experience. So what we can do is we become um, judgmental, and then we say, well, this lack of experience, you don't qualify, this didn't happen to you, all right? And so this is the second way that we can put parameters on God. And I just want to go to a book in the Bible called Job, okay? I'm going to give you the synopsis of Job because we're not going to read through the entire book this morning. That would just take too long. Yeah, I know. You're welcome. Uh, if you've read it, I, I got to read it uh, again this week, and it's just a good book to read. And so basically, it's this, that Job's a great guy. He's a man full of integrity. He's very rich. He has a lot of stuff, uh, and he has a great family, and things are going super well for Job. And then, uh, with permission from God, um, Satan is allowed to basically just take everything away. Gone. Everything. Right? Uh, right down to the point where his body is just full of sores, and, and then he has three friends that come by. And you know how friends are. They love to give you advice. I think if we could learn one thing from this story is, shut up, okay, uh, and just listen sometimes, and, <laughs> and then ask God, like, what's going on, right? And so, uh, so Job, here's Job, and he's making his case to God, right? And his friends are giving him horrible advice, and and, um, and, but he's making his case to God, and, and God replies in this, and I, I just could, I can't get enough of this. Uh, in, in 38, in Job 38, we're going to start in chapter 1. This is, this is God's answer to, to Job, because Job's doing a bit of complaining, right? We would do that. Guys, would we do the same thing? You've lost everything. Your body's full of just sores. You're, you're miserable, right? And would you say, God, I mean, how many of you, and guys, I'm going to speak to guys now, 
guys with the man cold. We know we get man colds. That's a thing, okay? It's a thing. Like, if, if men get colds, the whole world just, it, it's happened to me before, okay? I know friends that are guilty of it. The whole world stops. And you're like, I can't move, okay? And then, like, have you ever seen, like, a mom get a cold? They're like, we're going to do this, you know? And you're like, but that's not unfair because they've given birth. So they, like, they have this advantage to pain. Like, we don't. We've never experienced that. So we have man colds, and they're a thing, and they're real. And so treat us very great. Okay, so anyways, so all that to say, Job's gone through a lot more than a man cold, all right? He is legitimately experiencing, like, hell on earth, all right? And, and the Lord says this to him, and I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Uh, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much, who determined the dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation, and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning star sang together, and the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb as, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here, here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread from the ends of the earth to bring the end of the night's wickedness? Yeah, that's good. All right, it goes on. 38, 39, 40, and then in 42, Job comes to this understanding that he doesn't understand and hasn't been. He doesn't understand the greatness of God in his life, right? And he comes, and, and here's what the deal is, that, that God restores to Job all the things that he had lost, right? Now, his family obviously didn't rise up from the dead or anything like this, but he was restored. And it says in there that he wasn't, he wasn't just restored, that he was given double what he had before. Because he came to this understanding what it means to walk in complete humility and what it means to be a worshiper of God. That's a tough thing. Here's, this is a tough sale because in Western society, we love to realize that, hey, I have, uh, I have things and I deserve these things, right? I deserve to live to 90. I deserve to have a nice car, I deserve to have air conditioning in Florida, for Pete's sake, right? I deserve these things. And I think what we have to under, we have to come to this understanding when we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this could mean a lot of things for us. It doesn't mean that everything is going to just be great. There are going to be challenges and there are going to be mysteries that we walk through in times in our life where we are like, what is going on? And here's what I would say to you. God is refining in you the passion for him. That you 
are to strive after God and not the things. Because let me tell you something, this life is a blink. Sometimes it feels like it's an eternity. It's a blink. And just let's, let's remember that his ways are not our ways. I, I can't stand up here and tell you why good people get sick and die. I can't because his ways are not our ways. But I can tell you that there's a hope found in Jesus Christ, right? And so when we realize that, when we humble ourselves, um, I believe that, that not all the time will we see physical restoration, but we will see a hope rise up in us that outlives the thing that we're experiencing, right? And that hope is eternal. In Colossians 2.23, it says this. Um, well, I'm going to start. I'm actually going to start in 20 if you don't have that. Caden, um, don't worry about it. All right. Uh, you have died with Christ, and, you, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Um, such rules are mere human teachings and the things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desire. I want to say this, the, the American Standard Version says a different word in there that I really like a lot better. It says, these rules seem wise in a form of will worship. Now, that is not thy will be done. It is my will be done. How many of y'all have ever asked God to join you in what you're doing instead of asking God, how can I join you in what you're doing? done that before, right? We make our plans. We're like, come bless it, Lord. And I ain't brought it to you until right now, but come bless it. And so will worship is this. Here's what we get caught up in. We, caught, we get caught up in knowing everything and having perfect uh, doctrine and perfect theology. And these are the things that we need to chase after. And this is that. And what I'm learning more in my life is this, that, man, I don't have it figured out. Here's what I have figured out. God is good. He's the creator of all things. Jesus came uh, and was born of a virgin. Uh, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He was risen three days later, um, and he's coming back. Those are the things that I know, okay? And, and I want to say this, that, that you're, I, do, I just want to reiterate to you again, no one on the street that you walk by cares about your perfect doctrine or your perfect theology. That is not to negate theology and doctrine. Doctrine doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. Good theology doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. And so to this end, here's what we can do. We can put all of our marbles in the intellectual bucket then. We can put it in the experiential bucket as well. I believe that it's got to come somewhere in the middle that we say, yes, the Holy Spirit can do whatever He wants, and I am to have knowledge of what I know and why I believe the things I believe. I don't believe we're supposed to be way over here, just knowledge, 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 no experience. I don't think we're supposed to be way over here, experience, experience, experience. It just relies on experience. You know, what is the Bible? 
It's somewhere where the Bible, the truth of the Word, and the truth of the Spirit meet. And that's where we're to walk. Now, back to Maria. Maria is shaking like a leaf in the wind. He's weeping. We don't know what's going on, but we know it's happening. We're a little concerned, all right? Oh, Lord, now he's on the floor. Okay, and he's doing this thing. Oh, great. Okay, here's what I would say to you. Read Matthew 7. We don't even have to turn to it. I'm just going to tell you. Read Matthew 7, 16 through 20. Okay? You can't get good fruit from a bad tree. Here's what I would say to you, and this is, this is what, I mean, it's just been impacting my heart and my life lately, is this. No one cares that you're making an external change. That will not change anything because you're going to go back to the habit that you did before. You're just making an external change, right? What we need to see and what people need to experience is a transformation that's happening. So if that's happening to Mario and there's no fruit from that, then I would say, wow, what is going on there? But I would say this, if Mario previously beat Marie every night and God is shaking him, and he's weeping out loud, and he no longer touches his wife like that, then something is going on. So we can judge stuff by the fruit of what's happening, right? And I think that as as a church, as a capital C church, what we need to do is let people know uh, less of what we're against and more of what we're for, And because that's the fruit that the church is supposed to have, meeting people exactly where they are, exactly where they've been, because I know that I was a kid once where people loved me in spite of me. I was a jackweed. If you want to put ass in there, that's fine. That's what I was, okay? I was. My parents will testify that to you. If it, oh, that was a strong word. I, it, I was strong in that way, believe me. But people loved me. I had youth pastors who loved me for who I was and for who they saw that I was going to be. I had parents who loved me for who I was and not what I was going through. And so we want to be a church that meets a community that changes and sees transformation in the lives of others. We have got to let God begin to change us. And it is not a sprint. It is a journey. You will be changed throughout your entire life. There are things that I used to think that were just boom, this is the way God is, this is the way it is, and this is the way it's got to be. And those things in my life have changed, and I believe that they were just doctrinal and theological chains that were on me. So I want to say this. When we talk about let your will be done, that is a huge statement on earth as it is in heaven, that he wants to take you, maybe some of you in the room who are jerks, and he wants to change your whole deal. I know he's doing it with me, and I can say that because I was a jerk. There were times in my life I look back on them like, wow, man, way to, way to treat Jen, way to, way to treat your kids. That's really, it's really God-centered. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes you don't have to look back very far. 
And so God's doing a work. All right, if you think I'm up here, and those of you who know me know that I'm up here, and I'm just trying to keep it as real as possible. I'm not telling you that things are, you know, oh, yes, I haven't sinned in weeks. Okay? It's not the truth. But here's what I do know. God is doing something in my life, and God is doing something in people's lives that I know that is transforming them deeply and changing them. That when they get in situations what they don't understand, they can say, God, I don't get it, but I know that you're in control and I know that you're sovereign. That is the kind of hope that a world needs. That's the kind of reality. So here's what I would say to you. Should you never ask questions about things that are taught? Always ask questions. The Bible says to check everything, right? First Thessalonians, it says that. Test everything, all right? So here's what I would say to you. Read your Bible, okay? Read more of your Bible than you're reading blogs, all right? Listen to your Bible. Listen to more of the Bible than you're listening to Fox News. The anointed Fox News. No, okay? Or CNN or any, uh, they're all, yeah, Lord have mercy, okay? I just want to say something. I might tick you off. I don't care. If you think Fox News is telling the truth, stop. If you think CNN's telling the truth, stop. Okay? Like, seriously, chase after the king and his kingdom. Consume the scriptures. Know the scriptures. Well, how do I, what do I do? Read the Bible every year. What? That's a long book. It's not that long. Mark is 16 chapters, and one of the chapters, one chapter is like half a page. Settle down, all right? Yeah, I read a whole book. What'd you read? Romans. How long did it take you? Oh, 30 weeks. What? Like, okay, these books are not that long, okay? You can read them, I promise, all right? And so, and so read the Bible, and then know the Bible. And then here's what I would encourage you to know the context of the Bible, right? Oh, Paul says this thing right here. I don't know, even know who he's writing to. I don't know any background on this. Know the background. History matters. Context matters, okay? Believe what you believe and hold on to that, but not so tight that you can't let anything else in. Certain things you should believe, correct? We went over them earlier. Believe those things, have disagreements with people, digest it with people, chew it over with people, hold your doctrine and theology with open hands and say, God, do whatever you want to do. Have disagreements with people, but don't think and don't equate disagreement with disdain. You can disagree with people and not hate them, right? I just heard something yesterday. It blew my mind. It was crazy. I was at a party. <laughs> I was at a party. And I heard this eight-year-old kid, I think, and he was talking about why he's a Republican. <laughs> and I thought, there was a time in my life where I would have said, yes, 
But this time I was like, this kid is brainwashed, all right? We need to talk to him. Um, and because it was this blanket general statement of what Republicans are and this blanket general statement of what Democrats are. Liberals, okay, whatever, okay? Here's what I would say. As much as we box God into a corner, we can equally box people into corners. We can label them, you're this, and that means that you're this way. We need to stop doing that. Here's what I would encourage us all to do. See people as image bearers of God. No matter what life circumstance they're in or what phase of their life or what they identify as, see them as image bearers of God. And here's what I want to encourage you and I want to leave you with this today. Do not spend your next 168 hours building a box for God. He doesn't want it. Stand with me. All right, if you're a parent, you have four minutes because we are going to respect the teachers. We are not going to start the first Sunday by saying, oh, forget it. Okay, no. So you got four minutes. Here's what I want us to get used to, okay? So don't feel weird. I really want you to be watchers of the clock, and you might, have, you might say, okay, at 11.15, go get your kids. I promise God will move in your life. If you go at 11.15, I am going to get punched in the throat. Do not go at 11.15. My gracious. Take that off the recording. Okay. Um, correction, 10... 15, okay, go and uh, get your kiddos. Here's what I want to do, though, right now. I just want to say this. If you're in the room and, uh, like me, um, uh, you've put a box on God, whether it's that deeply um, uh, logical uh, box or if it's that deeply um, or highly experiential box where this, you know, you got to check these things off in order for, quote, God to have moved or God would never do this. Here's what I want to do, and I think this is important because I believe that this is where God begins to move, is I just want to take a minute, and I want us to just say sorry to God. Can we do that? It's a little thing in, in, uh, in, in history. Uh, this is called repentance. And what it is, it's saying, God, I've, I've made you, there's an old song, I've made you too small in my eyes. Oh, God. Forgive me. And so if that's you, and I, I just had this feeling, everyone in the room's been there, okay? So I'm going to say a simple prayer, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And if you just agree with me on that, um, that'd be awesome, okay? God, I thank you that you bring us to points like this, and you really, you really put before us this challenge that says, who am I? And then we try to come up with an answer. And sometimes it's highly logical, sometimes it's highly experiential. And then you probably ask again, okay, but who am I? And so, Father, I just want to ask for forgiveness, for boxing you in. 
in my own life, when I look at situations that are too big, I box you in and say, God, you couldn't be in this. In my own life, where there's doubt and even denial, would you come and forgive me? In our church body, where we have made you too small, where we haven't cast vision big enough, would you forgive us? We want to see transformation start in our own hearts and then permeate into the community. So, Father, where we have made you too small, would you come and open up our eyes and would you forgive us for that? You are a big God who desires to do big things. And I love that you use small individuals to do the stuff that you want to do. God, I pray for a release of freedom in us, not just in this hour and a quarter, but in all 168 hours of our lives, that, Father, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that you would take every box and that you would destroy it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.